Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, the Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, the 4th of October, 2013, and today we are reading from the big book. We're in the chapter, Working with Others. We're on page 90, the last paragraph that begins, If He Does Not... And today's readers are 12 Steps, Margaret K, 12 Traditions, Debbie H, and then Katie G, Hoodie, Kim, and Sharon. The share code for yesterday, Thursday the 3rd, is 5246. 5246. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Margaret Kay to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Margaret Recovered in South Jersey. One, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Margaret Kay. I will now ask Debbie H. to please read the 12 Traditions. This is Debbie, recovered in Montana. The 12 traditions. One, each member is but a small part of a great whole, must continue to live, or most of us will surely die. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, the loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. 
three, our membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism. Uh, four, with respect to its own affairs, each AA group should be responsible to no other authority other than its own conscience. Five, each Alcoholics Anonymous group ought to be a spiritual entity having but one primary purpose, that of carrying its message to the alcoholics who still suffer. Six, problems of money, property, and authority may easily divert us from our primary spiritual aim. We think, therefore, that we should be separately incorporated. Seven, the AA groups themselves ought to be fully supported by voluntary contributions of their own members. Eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional. Nine, each AA group needs the least possible organization. Rotating leadership is best. Ten, no AA group or member should ever in any way implicate AA or express any opinion on outside issues. Eleven, our relations with general public should be characterized by personal anonymity. Twelve, finally, we as Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the principles of anonymity has immense spiritual significance. Pass. Thank you, Debbie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass and press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today, we resume our study of the big book. We are in the chapter, Working with Others. We are on page 90, the bottom paragraph that begins, If He Does Not Want. And I will ask Katie G. to start reading, please. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Boston, Mass. Privileged to be here this morning, absent and sober. If he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. Neither should the family hysterically plead with him to do anything, nor should they tell him much about you. They should wait for the end of his next drinking bout. You might place this book where he can see it in the interval. Here, no specific rule can be given. The family must decide these things, but urge them not to be over-anxious, for that might spoil matters. And uh, grateful to be here, grateful to be reading the chapter, working with others, and most grateful that um, I came in to um, the rooms of um, OA and then later found my way to Big Book Step Study, which provides me a very clear outline on how to work with others. Um, until I found the steps, I forced myself upon everyone. Um, and I didn't carry a message that anybody would recognize because it was a message of Katie. Um, so I forced myself upon others. 
Um, I acted like I knew everything. Um, I love that this says, never should the family hysterically plead with him to do anything about it. I mean, if you'll remember earlier earlier in the reading, it tells us frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. I mean, I remember people saying to me, Katie, you look like you're dead. You look like you're a cancer patient. You look like you're dying. And I just thought that they were jealous of my anorexic body. So, um, you know, having the family hysterically plead to do anything um, is probably not going to work, um, nor is it going to work unless this person, uh, you know, is desperate. Like, I don't know about you, but for me, pain is a great motivator. Um, and I was not in pain at the beginning of my eating bouts. I was in pain at the end. Um, I'm glad that it says no specific rule can be given because I am a rule-bound person. And if I see a rule and I see people breaking it, then I, you know, go out there and tell them, you know, how specifically they should do things. Um, you know, and, you know, if I come off as an a, a evangelical person or a crusader, you know, I might ruin a later ability. And I, I have not had the opportunity to work with families um, in directly in OA, but working with my own family. Um, I have an older brother who is an alcoholic. And, you know, I don't go in there. I used to go in there acting like, you know, I would talk about my OA meetings and my AA meetings, and I would talk about, you know, my, my plan of action. And um, really, it's not my business. It hasn't helped my stepbrother. You know, nobody, I mean, he's not going to feel like he can ask me any questions. I certainly don't want to ask somebody a question if they're going to go out there and lecture me, you know. Um, and so it really has been a matter. There are big books throughout my house. Um, unfortunately, my brother uh, is still drinking. But, you know, who knows? Who knows? Like, I, I think that the the best part of this working with others is the humility of that line in the book that it says, I don't know what's best for me, and therefore I don't know what's best for other people. All I know is that my primary purpose, you know, my sponsor said to me when I completed the work, my primary purpose was not to go out there and make a lot of money. It wasn't to go out there and find me a man who's going to make me happy and complete me. It was to help others. My primary purpose is to help other women today and to carry this message. Um, so, you know, I um, and, and it's a privilege. And it's, um, you know, I again, like I said, I haven't had the opportunity to work with other other families, but I have had the opportunity in my own family. And I find that when I carry the message and I am not throwing myself, I'm not a hammer telling everybody, this is what you need to do. Like, who am I? Who am I? I don't know. All I know is that I've been given the opportunity to live two lives in one lifetime. And that is a privilege. And the only way to manage that privilege is to help others. I mean, it says in another place in the book, and I'm paraphrasing, that nothing will so much ensure immunity from alcoholism, a.k.a. Uh, compulsive overeating, as extensive work with other alcoholics. It will sustain us in the inevitable highs and lows of life. So thank you, God, we have a solution. You know, whatever the problem is today, I know that my solution is to help others. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. If he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. And just for some historical context, the reason they're talking this way is because there was no AA when they wrote this book. These men knew that their sobriety depended on them finding other alcoholics that they could carry this message to. So they were forced 
to go to doctors and to families and to clergy in order to find these alcoholics because there wasn't a, you know, an AA was not even existing, let alone people trying to find these meetings. But the way that I relate that to myself now is, you know, there are a lot of OA meetings, but there's a lot of OA meetings with a very watered-down message, a message that if we just get the perfect food plan, we're going to be okay. If I just make enough meetings, I will be okay. That if I can just stay in this room where everybody is in the food, nobody's abstinent, but at least I feel safe because I can identify with these people. And I can come into a room and give a message of these 12 steps, give a message of the big book, let them know they don't need to be any there, there anymore. But some people just don't want that message. Some people are so invested in staying in the disease that they don't want to hear the solution. And I have to respect that. I have to respect the fact that I can give this message and it's up to people whether they want to receive it or not. My job as a recovered person is to maintain the integrity of this message. My job is not to force this on anybody. Because if I try to force it on someone, all they're going to do is resist. So I can lay this spiritual toolkit at people's feet and be consistent in that message, but whether or not someone wants to receive it is none of my business. You know, one of the things I hear in the rooms often, I heard a twist on it was, well, all we have is our story. That's all we have is our story. That's not true. My story is 17 years of coming in and out of the rooms, trying desperately to work this fellowship and never getting any freedom, never getting any, you know, one time I had six years, but after that the disease had progressed, I couldn't get any more than eight months. My experience could kill people. What I have is this book. What I have is a message of depth and weight that I have now experienced that I can pass on to people. But people have that option to not take it. And that's why I love this line. You, might, um, you should wait to the end of this next drinking bout because it's when people are desperate, when people are so terrified because they picked up one more time that they might be receptive to that message. So my job is to be clear, to be consistent. So when someone's ears are open and they are open to this message, my hand can extend to them. I, my hand should be not be there to beat them up and tell them, I know the way and you better do what I do. And that is something I am working on on a daily basis of how I can more effectively carry this message with love and tolerance and not a big stick. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Okay, I'll take that as a no, and let's move on to the next paragraph then. Hoodie, could you read the next paragraph? Good morning. Good morning, Monica. This is Hoodie, possible reader. Usually the family should not try to tell your story. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. Approach through a doctor or an institution is a better bet. 
If your man needs hospitalization, he should have it, but not forcibly unless he is violent. Let the doctor, if he will, tell him he has something in the way of solution. Should I continue? Yeah, go ahead. When your man is better, the doctor might suggest a visit from you. Now you have talked with the family. Leave them out of the first discussion. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. He will feel he can deal with you without being nagged by his family. Call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed. And I just think of where um, it talks about in the doctor's opinion um, on page XXVII for the emotional appeal selling suffices. The message of interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. And um, I, um, I, I have no, I don't know anything, and I can't go to people, family, and tell them, oh, I have a solution that really, really works that could help this person. Um, I could go to a doctor and tell a doctor what worked for me and my solution and how my life has been recreated and um and tell and um give us information of the the program of recovery. But pain of despair um is what's gonna get um someone to open up their their heart and open up their mind to um to change. Pain is pain is a touchstone. And it's the best motivator for change. And with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Hoodie. Would anyone like to share on these two paragraphs we just read? This is Paula. May I share? Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. This is Paula. I was having a difficult time on muting and muting. That seems to be a part of my big life. Anyway, this line, I want to just go on to the first part of this line. Call. Call on him while he's still jittery. How do you call on him? Very clear here. Call on him while he's still jittery. This is why we have already worked the steps. We are in 10, and oh, before 12 comes 11, clearly, the intuitive thought placed in a position. Call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed. Honey, I'm going to tell you, that is the truth. When I was riding high, please don't call on me. I don't need anything from you. You see, I have it all. But it's after. It was always after. He may be more receptive. What does receptive mean? Finally, they receive you. You know, we read in the last paragraph, the first paragraph we read, if he does not want to see you. Can you see the change here? Never force yourself upon him. Oh, no, he must open the door. As I read this, I realize the things that I've done as a sponsor that might have not been helpful, and yet my aim was always to be helpful. But even here, a process, and I learn more about the message that is to be carried, not only the message to be carried, 
how it is to be carried. He may be more receptive when depressed than you go to him. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on these paragraphs? Margaret. Go ahead, Margaret. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, Vision, for you. Um, under these conditions, your prospect will see he's under no pressure. Uh, you know, just like the rest of us. You know, I was always years ago putting people under pressure because uh, I had myself under such pressure because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I wasn't reading the directions. I didn't know not to do this. And um, just the freedom. Thank God that we study this together and that we were taught how to sponsor because it is so critical. And, you know, as I said, uh, I know on this on this uh, line we hear a lot of how we're the tour guide. And I found out a couple years ago that I'm a pointer. And that's all I am. You know, I have no illusions about what I can do today, for the most part, I should say that. Let me just say for the most part. Around a family member yesterday, and, you know, I want her so desperately to come. And thank God I have given up my illusions that I can that I can force her to come. And I, I'm much happier, and so is she, to be honest with you. But, you know, to, to be really recognized that, um, you know, not to pe- put people under pressure, but as we're taught here, is to lay the spiritual kid at their feet. And willingness is a one-person job. And all those things that we are taught, you know, but we, we just weren't taught how to do this. And so thank God every day... We are taught how to do it. We don't have to put anybody under pressure. And I don't have to be under pressure myself to think I have to make somebody come because it's impossible. But I can just be the pointer and then eventually maybe the tour guide. You know, how great is that? But at least I know my place today. You know, that's a wonderful thing in life to come to know my place in life. I never knew my place in life. I always thought I could do more than I could do in certain areas and didn't do what I could do in other areas, you know, the um, you know the serenity prayer that, that we're taught here. So thank God we are on this line helping each other to be better sponsors. Thank God, thank God, because we cannot do this alone. It's impossible. Our egos are way too big for that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? Margaret. <laughs> Uh, I heard I heard all kinds of people, and I did not hear anybody clearly. Again, Barbara. Sally. Sally. All right, I heard Sally. Somebody else? Barbara. Barbara. Okay, somebody else? Sarah. Sarah? Yes. And, and then I think I heard uh, a man's voice, too. Okay. Sally, and then Barbara, and then Sarah. Sally, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, and good morning to a vision for you. Sally, recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. Um, A couple of thoughts that I had about these paragraphs that I think are are very uh, similar. Usually the family should not try to tell your story. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. And then in the next paragraph, it says, though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. And, of course, we have an entire chapter on dealing with the family in the family afterward, chapter 9. And in that chapter, it does tell us that the entire family is to some extent ill. 
that's at the bottom of page 122. And how can it not be somewhat ill, to some extent ill, when one of its members is has been sick, as we're very, you know, we've been, it's been made very clear to us that we're dealing with sick, sick people. And so when I read this, I'm first, for starters, I'm reminded of how many times that I have made the mistake of going to my own family and trying to present Overeaters Anonymous and even a vision for you to my own sisters and, and other relatives who, um, who are struggling with what appears to me to be an eating disorder. And um, it doesn't work. It never works. It's simply ineffective. It cannot come from me. That's what I have learned. And these paragraphs have taught me that I have, that I have made a mistake in attempting to go to them. It just cannot go, come from me. If they ask me, yes, I will give a response and let them know about a vision for you and, and specifically about um, you know, what a blessing I have had in this early morning meeting. But they, they don't usually ask. They are in their own place, in their own world, and I, I, I can't know why this is the truth, but they are presenting to us here a principle that I myself have found to be true. Um, it's, we can't go to the family. If anything, we can pray for them. We can be ready to give an answer if they ask us. Um, and I think that's about as far as we can go with our own family. And so I, I wanted to share that this morning. Thanks for letting me share, Monica. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Barbara, you're up next. Thank you. This is Barbara. I'm a compulsive overreader. As I listen uh, to these paragraphs and think about it, I'm also applying it to working with others in my own family and in my own life because early in recovery, you know, I was a step one to step 12 person and had to learn the hard way. That didn't work. Who wants to go on that bandwagon, um, and it didn't work for my recovery or, or to, as it says, you know, attract rather than promote. I mean, that's why the tradition is there. It's attraction, not promotion. And I I have to uh, think about this, pray about it, read about it repeatedly. And I go back to one of my favorite passages on page 111 to the wives, you know, um, I, I don't have to just apply it, only apply it to my spouse or my daughter or anyone else in the family, but to uh, anyone at all. I can't be angry. It says, you know, um, patience and good temper are necessary. I can't be about to reform anyone. And I've uh, learned, you know, by making that mistake where I come about with the prescription, here's the big book, here's the meeting list. Uh, It can be a food plan. I can be the great enforcer. Well, nobody wants that. It says in the big book, you know, nobody even wants to be, you know, with a person who hates the institution of drinking or overeating or excess in any area of their life. I mean, to be this great reformer, I have to say to myself, give it up, give it up. And it's part of one of the great principles of recovery for me is to do my life and have the balance between carrying a message by, as an early sponsor said to me, you know, you may be... Uh, a walking big book to that person. So look upon yourself that way. Be a walking big book. Uh, so that's the challenge of my recovery, is to um, 
let the people see in me what I am out to preach about. You know, some spiritual writers say, you know, sometimes we use words. Um, and I have to get the balance between being helpful at the right time, not being afraid to offer, but also not trying to uh, engineer a person's recovery, you know, describe it, design it, prescribe it. You know, the doctor writes a prescription, here I am, go to this meeting, do that, do that, do that. Here's the seven-point plan. Tried that, done that, doesn't work. So um, God help me to, to attract and not promote. Pass. Thank you, Barbara. Sarah, go ahead. Good morning. This is Sarah, Grateful Recovering Compulsive Overeater. May I share? Yes, go ahead. Okay. Um, I was thinking the gift of example um, and how important that is. And uh, I guess for me, um, I need to reach out to people that I know are struggling in a way that is in friendship and letting them know that I care about them and allowing them to ask for the help but at the same time letting them know that I'm there for them whenever they're ready, whether it be a family member. Um, Yesterday I had the opportunity um, to call somebody that I haven't seen or heard from in a long time, um, probably about four months, and I just called and just said, just thinking about you, wanting to let you know that I care. Um, And then she started to tell me how she had been struggling so deeply in the depths of the pit and I just told her that there's always a place and when she's ready and, you know, her comment was she just did not think at this point that she could that she could come back. And I did um, express a couple of things that I was doing and if she was interested, it, you know, this uh, particular meeting in, in, in essence. But um, I guess if, I, if my intent is good, the idea behind why I'm doing it, it's not about my ego, but it's about truly caring and wanting to help um, because as was said, love and tolerance is our code, then it's all good. And and that is God-directed as far as what I can see. It's not that I'm trying to force myself on somebody. It's I'm trying to reach out and, and say I care. Uh, and that's it. I care. And then listen listen. And I think that's the biggest thing for me, to pause and listen to people, not to have my own agenda in mind. Um, It is a beautiful program. I appreciate all of you on the line this morning. Uh, It's a wonderful uh, way to work our life, to live our life, to have relationships, to have a, a power greater than ourselves that we can feel directed by and that we are no longer feeling like we have to control everything in our lives. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Kim, could you read that, please? Sure. See your man alone if possible. At first, engage in general conversation. After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. 
If he is not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to, up to the time that you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. If he is in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. Wow, what, what, what great and very specific instructions. You know, it reminds me, you know, when I was in college, I did some telemarketing for a short period of time, and they gave you a script. They said, if they say this, then you say that. If, you say, if they say that, then you say this. So they're letting you know. If he's in a light mood, tell your light stories. If he's in a somber mood, tell your somber stories. You know, but it, it tells you if... Um, I'm trying to find the line here. Um, if he's not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time that you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. Because that's what Bill learned. Bill went in the first six months of sobriety, went and talked to people about his spiritual experience, about this white light in Towns Hospital, about how God had saved him from alcoholism. And he was grabbing people off the streets and off bar stools. And they were glassy-eyed and going, why don't leave me alone? I just need my whiskey. You know, but when Dr. Dr. Silkworth told him, you know what, they need to know that they're sick first, Bill. Hit them with the medical business and hit them hard with it. And then maybe they'll be open to how you escaped. And this idea has totally changed the way I approach newcomers. It has totally changed specifically how I do newcomer meetings. You know, I used to tell them about the amends, and I would tell them about the inventory, and I would tell them about, you know, all these different things with the fellowship and how the meeting is going to be and all this different stuff. And they're shaking in their boots because all they know is they just want to stop eating and they don't know where they belong. So now what I do is I hit them with the medical business. I take a newcomer and we open up a big book and we go to the doctor's opinion and I go to my favorite paragraph of men and women essentially drink because they like the effect produced by alcohol. And I tell them what that effect is for me. And what I do is, especially you know, face-to-face, is I watch when they're nodding. And when they're nodding, that's when I know to expand on, on my history. And I ask them if they can relate and tell me some of their stories. If they're looking at me with their brow all curled because they don't get it, then I move on. But that is what we're doing. We're trying to get them to open up. We're trying to get them to identify in. Because maybe they're not a compulsive overeater, first of all. Maybe they're just going to be in a wedding in six months and are looking for a cheap diet. But if they're truly got that allergy to the body and that obsession of the mind and we explain to them what that means and we give them examples in our life of how that manifested for us, then they will, they will meet us there. And then when they see that we are not there anymore and they say to you, okay, okay, I get it. I'm screwed. How do I get out? That is when we start talking about the solution. So what great, great, great instructions for when we first meet a compulsive overeater or when someone is first returning after yet another relapse. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula. Okay, I heard Paula. I heard Katie. Sheila. Sheila, and I think there was one other person. Eileen. Eileen. Okay, Paula and then Katie, and then we'll go on. 
Well, well here, here. We, we do say that the alcoholic is undisciplined, so I am going to do my best to stay within my time frame. But I just want to go to this. Um, oh, the line is echoing a bit. I don't know if people are not muted. See your man alone if possible. At first, engage in general conversation. That's it. That's it. The instructions are line by line. After a while, and here is the difference, turn the talk very gently. And it's very clear here, by the way, in case you forgot the page before. So cooperate, never criticize. To be helpful is our only aim. And the other line, remember, they are very sick. They are very sick. Remember, you were there too. And hear the difference. To some phase of drinking. Tell them enough. Not too much now. You remember, it's like pause. Not too long, not too short. Tell them enough about your own drinking habits, symptoms, and experience to encourage him, him to speak of himself. Honey, you know about yourself. You don't need to talk about you. Just, just give him a little, okay, come here. Not to compare, just to identify. But I'm going to hit and I'm going to go right down to the last line here because I do want, I am anxious to hear others because I learned so much. If he's in a serious mood, dwell on his trouble. Liquor has caused you. That's it. Identify. Being careful. Careful. Again. The same way you pet a porcupine. Carefully. Not to moralize or lecture. And then look at you meeting him wherever he is. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. Do you see what you're forming here? Friendship, perhaps? Someone to walk alongside you, not to point their their finger at, but to extend their hand to? Thank you so much for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Katie, go ahead. And then it'll be Sheila. Good morning, this is Katie G. I love these directions. Um, my sponsor added to me that I should really let them know they're not being judged, and I don't necessarily have to say that, but I can do that through my actions. And what are my actions? Telling her enough about my eatings and my symptoms and my experiences so that she knows that she's safe with me, that, um, you know, there's that magic me too factor. When I came into um, Over Years Anonymous and specifically when I came into the study of the big book, what I was so affected by was this ma- message of depth and weight that, number one, that women um, and men had um, gone to the extent that I have with um, anorexia and bulimia and binging and purging and waking up in the middle of the night and falling asleep with food in their mouth and the mental obsession and recovered, um, but not speaking so much that I could that I'm interrupting her. You know, like I, I over the over the period of time that I've I've been working with steps, you know, I'll share what's going on, and and I really say to people because I really believe this, this is just what I do, this is just my experience. You know, because again, I don't know, I don't know what's best for other people. I just know. You know, um, and I and I don't go into details of what it is I do. I just say, you know, this is this is where I've been, and 
you know, I don't do that today. Um, you know, but I don't have to talk to her about God. I don't have to talk to her about the steps. I don't have to talk to her about my amends. I just talk to her about where I've been and that I'm not there today. And there is such freedom to not have to lecture, to not have to moralize, because I come from this background of, again, like, right and wrong. Everybody's right and wrong. And I better figure out, you better, you know, tell me and convince me and help me understand that I'm right or wrong, you know, and that's not where we are. Um, And I'm just so grateful to have specific, clear directions um, and, you know, again, what, what I keep hearing is not being attached to outcome. It doesn't say I have to save other people. You know, it's just to carry the message. Who hears it and what they do with it is not up to me. And I'm just so grateful. You know, as someone mentioned, we are, not, we are not disciplined people. Yeah, I'm naturally undisciplined. But this book and the grace of God helps me to be disciplined. I'm with that. Thank you, Katie. Sheila, go ahead. Good morning, Mrs. Sheila from Buffalo here. Um, very excellent work here. Attraction rather than promotion. That's what kept screaming at me and nudging me. Um, because Lord knows when I first started my first program, I was, it was such a gift and it was such a joy that I was overzealous with wanting to share it, particularly with family members that we were suffering in, in more than one disease so badly. And... Um, not shoving it down their throat, but just wanting to take them by the shoulders and shake them if they don't succeed or succeed. We don't have to live like this. We don't have to feel like this. It could be different. Um, but it took me a while and a very um, caring and loving sponsor to help me see that we're all at a different pace. We're all at different levels. My relationship with the power greater than myself was not the relationship that my brother had. And after numerous attempts of intervention and, and they failed. You know, at one point I just had to release him into a power greater than myself and realize that uh, it's his choice, it's not my choice. Screaming hysterically, wishing that he could do something differently would not help. But I'm grateful that I learned to love him for just the way he was, unconditionally. You know, this week marks um, two years that he passed through the result of this disease and it's still it still annoys at me from time to time. Did I do enough? Did I was I a loving, caring sister? Was I supportive? And uh, the answers come back to me that you loved him unconditionally. And you know, I have had family members say, "Well, what? But something is definitely different about you." You know, I learned to just carry myself in, in a certain way and keep my thoughts straight, clean, and not get into the crazy family fights and arguments. Eventually, one by one, people wanted to know what was I doing differently. They thought it was just a new church thing or something, not realizing it was a combination of my relationship with God as well as trying to practice these 12 steps on a daily basis. And for that, I'm grateful. Today, I don't have to be both felt. I could be attracted. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sheila. Eileen, go ahead, Eileen. Thanks, Monica, for uh, choosing me to share. This is Eileen from Bedford, Mass. Oh, gosh. this The whole book is so powerful, but this paragraph in particular, experience, strength, and hope. Um, we share it with other people. Uh, as as you've heard around the, the halls, no one gets through to an alcoholic or an addict better than someone who's been through the pain and misery themselves. 
Um, you know, you, you go into these uh, hospital rooms or wherever you're going into someone's home or whatever, and you share your experience, strength, and hope with them that this is where I've been, this is where this disease has led me, and this is where I am today. And so much, and you don't try to come off as someone who's better than, you come off as someone who's equal, on an equal plane. You know, the person who's trying to get recovery, they may be in a different place. They may be where you were when you first came in. But the bottom line is that they're just like us. And we're trying to get that across. That we're not here to judge. We're here to help. And that's the, the, such the wonderful thing about this program is that the, the other people in these rooms have been through the same things that what chances are that, uh, that we've been through. And look at how their lives have changed. Look at the hope. Look at the hope that's out there to hold on to. And um, tell them enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experience to encourage him to speak of himself. You know, give him, give him the room to, to talk about what's going on with him. Get him to tell some of his experience. So I, I, I just find this book in, incredibly amazing that we can all identify with it and i um, so grateful to share. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Eileen. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Leah. Leah, go ahead. Hi, this is Julie. I'd like to share. It'll be Leah and then Judy. I mean, Julie. Go ahead, Leah. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. So there's very specific instructions here um, in this chapter, working with others. There's a technique <laughs> that, um, you know, that is suggested here. I uh, look at it like um, throwing out the bait. You know, as if, uh, you know, I'm trying to catch a big fish. I throw out the bait. You know, I tell him enough about my drinking habits to pique his interest. I tell him about the symptoms. You know, I, I share that uh, I was a compulsive overeater my entire life. I um, share some of those experiences, you know, uh, that I've had thousands of binges that I've, you know, hidden bathroom stalls and uh, shoved uh, food down my throat as if my life depended on it, that, uh, you know, I've eaten out of garbage cans, that I uh, ate off the floor, that I ate burnt food. Um, you know, I, I share the desperation of the compulsive overeater, and I, I um, you know, try to allow that person to connect in. Um, if he wishes to talk, let him do so. And if he does, if he or she does talk, then I get a better idea of where they're at. You know, perhaps, perhaps they have facet of bulimia or facet of anorexia, then I can reveal those stories. It says, um, 
you will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. Again, there's very specific technique and skill. I'm slowly reeling in the fish. Um, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit. So, you know, I'm, I'm sharing about um, some of those uh you know, uh, symptoms that I have. I'm, I'm sharing that I know what it's like to live in an obese body if I'm sitting across from someone who obviously um, is uh, in bondage with, with all that. I share about medical consequences if I think that'll be helpful. I share about the shame. I share about the humiliation. I share about the, um, the pain of being um, obese. I share that, uh, you know, I didn't know what I was up against, that I didn't know the depths to which this disease would take me, that once I stopped, I, I would start again. I couldn't stop from starting again. I, I share that dark past. You know, my book tells me that that dark past of mine is the greatest possession I have because it is the key to life and happiness for others. You know, we, we have recovered I'm sitting across the table as a recovered person, and I have been given the power to help others. Precisely that statement uh, that I'm talking about in the big book says that cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession that I have. In God's hands, am I coming from a place where I am trying to do God's work? Am I trying to, to be uh, God's agent? This is not about me expecting or demanding anything um, from the other person because my emotional stability comes out of this communication, comes out of trying to carry this message. And in that uh, relaying of, of my sketch of my drinking career up to the time I quit, um, I am aiming to produce a, a crisis. By relating the seriousness of my own experience, I am turning the screws for somebody else, turning up the pressure, turning up the heat by sharing my own experience, slowly reeling them in. And when uh, I have the opportunity to carry the message in front of a group, when I see uh, those tears begin to well up in the newcomer's eyes, you know, I know that I am uh, perhaps touching a life by utilizing the pain of my past to avert uh, death and bring life to perhaps someone else. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leia. Julie, go ahead. Hi, I'm Julie, a recovered compulsive um, overeater from California. And uh, this paragraph, I have so many marks on it from when I returned to program because it's that, you know, that first initial contact with someone is so important because I know we've heard this many times, but, you know, we're a, a living big book. And I need to be able to build trust with someone. And that, for me, is like seeing them alone if possible. And just to, you know, for me, when I had that initial contact coming back in November, I was nervous because I didn't want that experience that I had before. And my sponsor just chatted with me. And let me know a little bit about her history. You know, she shared her habits, her symptoms, her experiences. And then I was able just to start talking about it. It's um, building that rapport, but I have to have it on trust and identification. And I can't have anybody preach at me because I've had that, a doctor telling me, you know, 
you're obese, you're morbidly obese, you're going to die. That doesn't work for me. My doctor has always been fit. He's probably never been overweight. And um, he doesn't understand. So sitting down with that prospect, protege, uh, person that we want to lend our hand is extremely important. And also it, um, it represents OA. Um, you know, we're here to become recovered from a seemingly hopeless disease. And I need to be able to talk to somebody who can shake their head and say, yeah, I've been there. You know, I, I mean, I was 277 pounds. I was a bulimic. Um, I ate out of a garbage can. I ate out of my kid's food, et cetera. And I need somebody not to sit there and say, oh, my God, this woman um, got some issues. It's just important to be clear why I'm doing this with someone. I'm doing this so that I could maybe offer some hope, some strength, some real life experience. So I love this because it says you will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. Because if I just jump in there and say, hey, my name is Julie and I'm recovered, let me tell you what I did, you can have this too. I think that person is going to slowly back away and maybe not come back. So I am just grateful for the women that are in my life who did not do that. And I'm able to come here every day as a result of that. So thank you so much for everyone. I just get so much out of this meeting. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Julie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Rochelle. I'll comment. Rochelle, go ahead. Rochelle, um, I I have been listening to a vision for you for, I don't know, I guess it's a couple of months now. And um, recently I, I begin have begun praying about how I can help other people. And I had a procedure yesterday and in the hospital, and there was my doctor. And I meant to say to him, look, you know, I'd like you to put me in touch with people who um, who would like to be recovered. I mean, he knows my story. And I absolutely forgot. But God doesn't forget anything. And uh, I came across someone quite by accident who was related to somebody else who used to be my sponsee. And I was just so delighted that I understood that God had directed me to this person who I had not I had not spoken to in perhaps a year or more and uh, and I I called them up and uh, they weren't there and I didn't leave a message but clearly my phone number appeared on their caller ID I got a call last night from this person who used to be my sponsee and and had quit because she just couldn't get it you know, and uh, and she was just so delighted that I had called her and that I had remembered her and and to speak to her and we just had a delightful conversation and who knows what windows might have been open last night and uh, I left the door open and and uh, and I'm just so grateful that I can look at my life and say, uh, God, please show me these opportunities. Please give me opportunities. That's what I wanted to share. I passed. Thank you, Rochelle. And this is Monica, and I'm going to step in here for just a moment. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And, um, yeah, so we're in the chapter working with others here. And the big book, you know, these guys, these alcoholics that put this book together, you know, they know. They knew what they were, what kind of people they were, and what kind of people we are. And that we need instructions. And um, they're giving us explicit instructions here on how to work with other people. Because they know, you know, and I knew 
before I came into these rooms that I didn't want anybody preaching to me or telling me what to do. You know, I was this hard-headed, strong person, and, you know, you're not going to tell me what to do if I don't want to have anything to do with it. And I don't want to be preached to. I don't want to be looked down upon. And that would have just turned me right off. But here, so clearly in the book, we're being told, you know, we have something that we can share. And if you do not have this same problem, you don't understand it. But for someone who does, and you can share your pain, your suffering, what the crazy things you did, and how you did the same things over and over and over again for 50 years and expected a different result, and it never worked. And how you can things can change but I like the instructions and I guess what I also wanted to say was you know it's a process going through the steps it's also a process of being a sponsor you know we're gonna when you first start I you know I was an evangelical one I started that way you know I was on top of the world hip hip hooray and this is the way it is and and that didn't work so well and I'm slowly learning, you know, you gotta you gotta step back and listen. And then do what the book says. And with that I will pass and we've come to the end of our time. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page one sixty four, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And Sharon, can you read a vision for you, please? Our one to unmute, Sharon. Monica, I can read that. Okay, go ahead, please. Hi, my name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater here in Oregon. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the records of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you tread the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Bye.